the Askell Leaders Reading Podcast with Jeff Barton. I'm Priya Lakhani and I'm the founder and chief executive of Century Tech. And uh, thanks very much for joining me here. So you've written a book called Inadequate, The System Failing Our Teachers and Your Young People. So right from the outset, it doesn't pull its punches, does it? Um, <laughs> t- tell us a little bit first, Priya, before we get to the book, about just y- who you are, what you do, what Century Tech is, so that people know the context for this. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I started Century, um, the founder of Century, I started it seven years ago. Prior to that, I taught for a couple of years in higher education. Um, I was also an advisor to a lot of FE colleges. And I started Century because we identified two major issues on the front line of education that weren't being solved. And those two issues were the one-size-fits-all delivery of education. Every teacher is very passionate about personalising education and differentiating for every student, but they simply don't have the time or resources to do that for you know every single one of the 30 children in front of them. And also, the rising data and evidence that teacher workload is such a big issue that 60% of a teacher's time is spent marking and assessing, you know, that 74% of teachers seven years ago considered quitting their jobs in the next three years, and that figure only started to rise. And so I really wanted to help change uh, and and, and solve these problems. This goes back to my six-year-old self being East African Indian and wanting to solve problems in the world. And uh, and I just thought, look, there's no magic wand being waved, Jeff. You know, there are no... That we aren't going to have 80,000 new teachers in the country. I remember you citing uh, the teacher gap statistics of 40,000 teachers by, I think it was 2030. That's not happening. So the idea was how can we use tools and technology to try and help solve these problems while enhancing the human in the teacher, if you like, so that we can make educational outcomes far more powerful for every individual in school. So part of the idea around that is actually to as it were, reconceptualise the teacher's role, isn't it? So to recognise there are things that teachers probably have been doing for a long time that maybe they didn't need to do because the advancements in technology can start to do that instead. Yeah, absolutely. So it's looking at a teacher's role and first looking at the goals that we want to achieve. I don't think we should use technology for technology's sake, you know, just because there's intelligent, complex technology being used in other sectors, maybe when it comes to commerce or investing. It doesn't mean that we automatically have to put that into education. But we saw that there were goals that we wanted to achieve. We wanted to increase outcomes. We wanted to demonstrate the efficacy, you know, of our teaching and learning processes. We want to increase teacher time for CPD, for example, continuing professional development. There's all these things that we want. And the problem was, was that when you looked at a teacher time, how, what are they spending their time doing? Most teachers are spending more time doing what they didn't sign up to do in the first place. And so listening to teachers, and that was really important, you know, working with them, listening to them, asking them, you know, what do you want to spend your time time doing? The idea was, well, we can use technology that exists today to solve some of those necessary tasks, but that a machine can do and a machine can automate, while then freeing up teachers to provide that more holistic, 360-degree, wholesome education that they actually do try and provide to every child, despite the system. And I think the book is very much about that. You know, teachers are trying this anyway, but how can we actually make their lives easier? And you're steeped in what artificial intelligence can do. You you talk about it in the book, but as you've said, it isn't a book about that. It's about how can that do some of the heavy lifting, isn't it, in a sense, on behalf of teachers. But what kind of things can can AI be doing which uh, could free teachers to do the more human stuff and to focus on that? 
Yeah, sure. So you're right. The book's not about AI and technology. The book's about systemic change, and that's yeah. just you know one one short chapter. But yeah. AI can do an awful lot in terms of helping with constant formative assessment. We know the power of formative assessment. John Hattie has done some incredible work. Uh, that's really well respected in this area. We know that feedback is really important, right? To be able to figure out where a child is at a certain point and then the teacher can make that human intervention. Well, what AI and big data analytics can do very efficiently is offer that formative assessment to students regularly and then analyse how is your cohort of students doing? We know where is a certain part of the cohort struggling? Not just if they're struggling, why are they struggling? Are they struggling in science because actually they're struggling in maths? Are they struggling in maths? because actually there's a literacy level issue. They don't understand the question. And AI can analyze that. Now, if we think about doing that without an intelligent machine, then we've got teachers marking 30 tests every week, you know, per mm -hmm. year group. And mm -hmm. they're having to then analyze that data to figure out where an intervention is necessary. You know, society will often think teachers go home at 3.30 in the afternoon. They do not. And we know that they mark and they plan their lessons until the evenings. They spend their weekends doing that. So this is where AI can help. Another area, we obviously saw, you know, the exams debacle um, this year in the UK and, you know, so many students were let down by what happened. So where can technology help in terms of assessment has now become a really big issue. And the all-party par parliamentary group just did a, uh, you know, they just produced a report on this. Where can we use technology to ensure that summative assessment um, becomes more powerful and more accurate is there potentially a challenge now to high stakes assessment those gcses at the end of you know your formal education and uh, and what can be done there so ai will creep into parts of education but i think what's very clear is that there are many parts of education where ai just hasn't got a place and it shouldn't have a place and that's where we want to empower our humans our teachers our teaching assistants you know the pastoral care advisors in school to be able to do their job far more effectively and that's where I, I think a lot of us were taken by surprise by the kind of boldness of the book and the, the title of it implies that when you say inadequate. It, it is a kind of pretty devastating critique of the education system as it is now. And one way you do that is in a chapter where you imagine what it is like to graduate in 2030. So this isn't yeah. just about reinventing the teacher's role. This is actually, as you said previously, systemic, isn't it? It is what, it, what is it we need to do with our whole education system on behalf of the skills, knowledge that children and young people are going to need in the future. Did you want to just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, McKinsey, for example, have done reports on this, as have many consulting firms. They predict that up to 890 million new jobs will be created by 2030. Now, it doesn't, it's not as devastating when you say and, you know, you read the reports and you hear that, OK, well, as many new jobs will be created. But if we're going to lose, you know, jobs that we're used to today for new jobs, then actually... What's happening here is there's a skills change, there's a reskilling requirement of people. Automation is going to end up, you know, leaving a lot of people um, without something to do, a day job. And then those people are going to have to find something else to do. The digital skills gap will cost the UK £141 billion in GDP growth over the next decade. And so we know that 2030, you know, our primary school children today, when they start looking for jobs in a decade's time, the world actually will look quite different. So the big question, and, and I'm certainly not the pioneer of this, I've been to talks and panels over the last decade myself that have all been discussing the same question, is, you know, why is education not fit for purpose? Why do we continue to have a system 
that is often, you know, it's teaching children skills that an AI can definitely do. You know, long division in mathematics, you know, there are all sorts of nuggets um, in the curriculum that you can look at and say, well, how relevant is that to the future? Why are we not teaching children about you know, digital skills, why aren't we actually intertwining that with their maths curriculum, their science curriculum? It's not necessarily all about teaching computer science, which is what I think some people think it is. So, mm. you know, the whole 2030 chapter is what skills do we need? And, and Jeff, you know, again, people have been talking about this for a long time. So we talk about, you know, the skill sets of growing importance, management, you know, in management leadership, you know, science and engineering in the arts. And we talk about complex reasoning. That includes critical thinking, you know, active learning, higher order cognitive capabilities. We talk about socio-emotional intelligence, um, perceptiveness, persuasion, you know, service orientation, all of these areas have been so much research. But when we look at classrooms and when we look at formal education, there are many teachers out there that absolutely are teaching these skills and we know that they are. But as I say, they're doing it, you know, in spite of actually this curriculum that is very prescriptive, that tends to lean far more towards what we can test and it, it is absolutely right that these skills that I talk about, that we know have growing importance, are difficult to test. But therefore, shouldn't the curriculum reflect that? You know, in a sense, we're sort of tying teachers' hands behind their backs. And, and some people critique this and say, well, the system shouldn't change. And I think, well, if you don't change anything, you know, if you do as you've always done, you get what you've always got. Yeah. And actually, there are many educators out there, particularly those in the state sector, you know, who have a national curriculum to deliver in a certain period of time. You know, they have, um, you know, th th there are many things that hinder them from actually doing what they could do. And they're an incredibly intelligent and skilled workforce of people. So part of that then comes into other themes which I discuss is the trust of our teachers. You know, why can't we offer more autonomy to them to be able to do what they do best? And in a sense, actually, to leave them alone. Mm. Yeah. But is that leaving alone saying that actually we, we don't need a national curriculum because it's no longer fit for purpose? Or, or is it saying we need a different kind of curriculum in the way you've just outlined, which has got different knowledge, aptitudes, different skills, which young people are going to need in the future? I mean, are you essentially reconceptualising what is being taught completely in schools? Yeah, well, I think the first thing that we need to do is, I think it is a, it, it's, it's looking at the curriculum, offering a national curriculum, absolutely, but making it fit for purpose. So it's looking at the one that we have today and saying, for a start, it's far too big. You know, and, and I've made the point before that the curriculum, you know, 80,000 word curriculum, the size of The Hobbit, I mean, you know, it's, um, it's just grown and grown and grown and it's incredibly bloated. And what we need to do is look at the curriculum, not just in a piecemeal fashion where you're chipping away at bits of it, but actually think, what do we actually want to achieve in terms of these skill sets? And how do we now create a new version of this? So, you know, it's not just about adding subjects on. It's certainly not about saying, AI, what an amazing, interesting technology that's going to change the world. Let's now teach all of our teachers about AI and ensure they teach it in the class. No, that's wrong. Teachers don't have time to go and learn an entire new subject and then have the lesson plans, etc., to go and deliver those. It's about looking at the entire curriculum, looking at mathematics, look at the sciences, look at what we currently teach. Let's look at the core of those, right? Let's actually shave away a lot of what's in there that, that we don't actually need. And then let's look at this new set of skills that we need and how can we embed those within the curriculum and there are educators that do this and in fact I mentioned a couple of them in the book you know there are a couple who 
um, look at how to embed these new skills within the curriculum and they've had some amazing results and we do know that schools do this we do know that many teachers do do this but again I think the point is you know the Department for Education ministries of education around the world really need to to, to press that reset button and um, and they need to develop that curriculum. Curriculum can be a, a national curriculum can be an amazing thing. You know, you're offering mm. a set of guidelines and a framework to a very large workforce, particularly in a country where you have lots of schools. There are countries with you know 180 schools, 300 schools. It's yeah. a lot easier to manage. So actually, it's not a bad thing. But you know, if our curriculum hasn't really changed much, and actually the only way it's changed is that we've added things to it. You have to start thinking about the triangle, you know, when you've got, you either you have resources to deliver, right? You've got things that you want to deliver and you've got time. And yeah. so when you've got those three things in that triangle, you're pulling it in either one of those points of direction. But the point is, is when you pull one, the other two go with it. So what exactly are we doing here? The more and more you add, the more and more you want to deliver, well, time and resources are affected. And our resources are our teachers, and they're incredibly important and they need some autonomy in their roles. They need further autonomy in their roles. So that's that's basically what I'm arguing for. Yeah. You also, in a, in a chapter of the book, which is called The Village, talk about the importance yeah. of children's mental health. So it didn't, it didn't like this is all about here's what people need to know. It's also uh, a reflection on how we help young people and indeed adults navigate through turbulent times, isn't it? What, what, why did you give such an emphasis to mental health? Yeah, I did. So yeah, this book is very much aimed at, it's aimed at teachers, but it's also aimed at parents. And, you know, I wanted to include this. It was really important to me. It looks a bit odd, you know, when you're reading the book and suddenly there's this chapter on mental health, you think, what's this about? And it's because I'm talking about a systemic change. And if we're really, really going to try and get it right, we need to think about mental health. Even though if you look at children today and look at crime rates you look at um you know drug taking you look at all of these sorts of factors you look at grades and results things seem to be going in the right direction but actually if you look at prescription rates and you look at hospital admissions things are really not going in the right direction and things are changing you know we're looking at social media the use of social media behind closed doors we're looking at bullying and we're seeing that actually there is this mental health crisis that, again, certainly I'm not the first person to talk about, but it is a real problem. And if we're going to tackle this, we need to ensure there's investment in schools. And this is because teachers don't just teach. They do provide that village. Teachers are teachers, they're pseudo-parents, pseudo-counsellors. You know, they provide that wraparound care you know, very, very often to a lot of children. And so we really need to think about how we can support them. And again, the solution is not always going to be let's increase continuing professional development, CPD investment for our teachers, because there's only so much that they can handle. And I understand that, you know, financially, we're always asking for more money. Can we have some money for schools, you know, to deal with mental health? And, and that's difficult for Treasury, particularly in the last year with COVID and the amount of spending in all other sectors, you know, in the nation. But the fact is that if we don't put the money in now, we will see the knock-on effects, you know, when it comes to the NHS, right? Yeah. And we will also, it's not really about that and about the economy, it's about the fact that we don't want our children to have to go through this and we don't want our teachers to have to deal with it in some of the ways that they're having to. So the book touches on that because in order to think about a systemic change, you have to look at the whole picture. If we didn't do that, 
then we'd just be looking at the curriculum, we'd just be looking at skills, but there is this incredibly important issue that affects all of us. And more and more teachers, and, and the data's in the book, the book's a very data-driven book, because yeah, I don't so like writing things. Yeah, it's full of data and full of sources, and the sources are incredible. There are people who've done so much work, um, you know, in all of these spaces, and I really wanted to bring all of their work together. But we cannot ignore it. Teachers are complaining. You know, they are reporting up to senior leaders that there are more and more of these issues in school every day. And so it's something that has to be addressed. It's not necessarily something that can be addressed in the curriculum. Maybe it can. And I think we'd all be really open to to hearing teachers' views. You know, how can we try and solve this problem? But unfortunately, Jeff, you know, I have had to come to the conclusion in the book, there aren't many places where I've come to, here is how we can solve this. Because it's not, you know, the idea is let's raise the issues and let's talk about the actual facts. I really want that to be discussed when it comes to parents reading the book particularly. But I have had to... In a, in a way, summarise and say it is going to come down to a financial investment from government, from Treasury. Um, and I thought it was very important to make that point um, just simply because, you know, it's unavoidable and it's yeah. really, really important. Well, we applaud that point. Just one last question, Priya, for you. So you're, you're not a teacher and you haven't been a teacher and yet you talk a lot about the importance and status and autonomy of teachers. There will be some people who would read the book saying, so what... what entitles you to be writing in this way about education what what drove you to want to write this down in this way yeah so it's a really good question because some people have done that (laughs) yeah it's fine (laughs) and and it's fine yeah there's always a couple of personal attacks and there's definitely one that that says let's just not change anything let's not change anything in education i thought well that's that's quite rich coming from a deputy head of an independent school who's all kind of cushy whereas um you know so and i'm very happy to make that point and it's fine you know social media and and headline grabbing it it allows people to write these things and that's fine It's, it's you know freedom of speech it's absolutely fine um so I thought for a couple of years in higher education, I do understand that that is different and I do appreciate that. Um, I do remember uh, I had a class of 30, so it's not too different actually to the class sizes in schools. I had to deal with differentiation. It was really difficult. I taught law to journalists, postgraduate journalists, and it was definitely the module they did not want to learn, Jeff. So, but unfortunately, when you want to be a broadcast journalist, you have to pass your law module. And so um, I remember finding it actually really challenging to deal with varying abilities in the classroom um, in a certain period of time and and you know there were high stakes assessments at the end of it so I have a little bit of experience but I understand and agree that you know I haven't been a classroom teacher at primary or secondary level and actually you know not even just through lockdown but I like many parents really really appreciate all the work that everyone does what drove me to write this so for the last decade I have been uh, advising and spending a lot of time inside further education colleges and seeing how they operate and also working with schools while for two years before I even started building Century. Um, And this was spending a lot of time in schools, days within schools with teachers and just seeing what was happening. Now, a lot of teachers have written books and blogs and that's fantastic and they should keep on doing so. But I was essentially holding, uh, you know, all of this information, all of this data, um, all of these stories, all these answers to thousands and thousands of questions that I have posed to teachers and senior leaders over the last decade to myself. And 
enough was enough. I think I was being invited to all sorts of panels and they're mm. fantastic events and panels about how we change education. Ask all, you know, your panels and, and, yeah. and keynoting at various conferences. And I thought, can we really afford to be having the same conversations for another decade? Yeah. You know, we're serious. We've been talking about this for five or ten years. And it's fantastic every time there's a new book about this. I don't think people should get upset if people are repeating the same points because that's not what we want to teach our children. We want to teach our children that you want to persevere if you want to make change, and it is difficult. But I felt that it was really important to bring all of these issues together. Um, and it was a very cathartic experience for me. And actually, I'm speaking on the behalf of a lot, you know, a lot of teachers, thousands, not hundreds, thousands of teachers who, um, who feed back to me and my team at Century about the issues that they face on the front line. And so, essentially, it was just about bringing that together. But the book is, as you can see, it's worded in a way where a parent can read it. And I thought that was really important. I do have, um, you know, the ability to, to, to speak to, you know, speak to a, a non-teaching audience quite often. And I thought that this was a really good opportunity to be able to use that profile, to be able to share with them what teachers actually go through. Because so many parents, you know, they'll pick their child up from school or their child will come home and... You know, the conversation about school is, is about what the child went through, which is absolutely right. But I think actually not many teachers, apart from obviously during, not many, sorry, I think that not many parents, apart from the lockdown experience that they had, really understand what teachers go through every single day. And I really wanted to ensure that they had some data, some real data that backed, you know, this is what your teachers go through every day. But also, if we're going to create a movement and if we're going to try and change things, we really do need parents on our side. We need them to buy in to change in education. And so that was the aim of the book. Um, but it is very much data-driven. There is nothing in there I think you can point to, which is, you know, Priya thinks without, it's just an assumption or a whim without actually looking at evidence and, and using researchers' amazing, you know, intellect and the amount of time that they've spent researching these issues and essentially just bringing it all together. Yeah, well, I, I think one of the things that strikes me is that what um, uh, the teaching profession benefits from from time to time is externality. And I always remember in my early days as a head teacher, you know, one of the things I was remember saying proudly to kids in assemblies is right you're going to see a transformation of it in this school i mean this is <laughs> this is 15 years ago right and i always yeah. remember a kid came to me at the end of the year and said oh, mr barton you know that transformation of it does it really just mean all the teachers are going to use powerpoint <laughs> and yeah, there was there was a bit of a sense of what the way we saw it was the way we saw it and one of the things you've done for me is to give me a sense of what ai can do but also the, both, both, both the potential of it, but also the limitations. And I think bringing an external eye on behalf of parents and holding a mirror up is exactly what this book does. You know, I called it in my review a compelling, optimistic vision of what education could do. Um, that, that's the way it felt to me. So A, thanks for writing it, but B, thanks for talking about it. It's, uh, it's a great read, Priya. Thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you, Jeff. I think, look, the most important thing is that, yes, you know, there are some of us who will sit there with a completely different lens and that can be really useful, but it's also about working with the sector to say, okay, and then what, what goal is this actually going to achieve? You know, what problems can we actually solve? And it's that blend 
of expertise, right? It's the ed and the tech and putting it together and we have ed tech and it's making sure that the ed is not lost in that. But, you know, it's been an, it, it, you know, I, I am really appreciative of your very positive review and hopefully, hopefully, you know, with as many eyeballs reading the book um, as, as we can get, we can start to actually build on this movement, free our teachers up, you know, challenge high stakes assessments that doesn't help teachers and it doesn't help the children and hopefully finally make make some change. And this might just be the moment to do that, because as you say, lots of us have had lots of conversations like this in lots of places, on lots of panels, lots of times. It might just be that what COVID has done is to make us see more starkly some of the things we now need to change. The things we should keep the same, but some of the things we should start to change. You you, you set a kind of um, uh, an agenda for that, I think. Yeah, Jeff, I'm so happy that you said that. Look, I think that this this has been an incredibly devastating time, as we all know. But COVID has shone a spotlight on things like the fact that there are areas of deprivation where they have no bandwidth. They have no yeah. devices. So we can talk about AI as much as we like. But what we really do need is, I mean, you know, how have they still not got 4G? We're talking about 5G, right? How, you know, we don't have the infrastructure in places. Then they don't have the hardware and the devices. How many schools... You know, on social media, we're talking about we didn't get our devices on time. We were promised devices during lockdown. We didn't get them. There are some process issues at a much higher level that we know need to be better. Now, there are people trying very hard to make them better. And I think we all recognise and we appreciate that. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we take our foot off the pedal, right, when it comes to driving that forward and so covid has shone a spotlight on all of these issues and what it also has done is it has disrupted everything it's disrupted everyone and everything in many many ways so we're in a period of change right now and i know that some people one person particularly said well, we don't want change i thought well actually if you're going to change anything now is the time because people are ready for it when they settle back you know when things settle down a little bit more and it's 12 months later people really won't be up for it because that change management aspect is the most difficult part whereas at the moment people are thinking what can we make better that doesn't mean that you need to necessarily dramatically change absolutely everything but here you know i think you know ears are open you know it is appealed i should say eyes are open i think this is this is the time to bring forward some change for the better. And those statistics that we have seen about social mobility, you know, being damaged during COVID and those years of progress, like 10 decades, you know, decades worth of progress that we were making actually being stripped away. Yeah. All of that needs to be addressed. So, you know, everybody wants to see us obviously, you know, go back to, I mean, people talk about a new normal. I don't think there is anything such as a new normal. I think there'll be several new normals before, you know, we seem to settle back into any sort of pattern. But now is the time. And education has needed this urgent change for a long time. So it's our turn. It's the sector's turn. And one metric that we can look at after we've made change is, are teachers happier? Do teachers feel more fulfilled in what they're doing? You know, as well as are we achieving the outcomes that we really want to achieve for a child who is going to graduate in 2030? Priya Lakhani, your book, Inadequate, The System Failing Our Teachers and Your Children. It's uh, been great just talking to you about it. Thank you. It's a manifesto for, for change. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeff. The Ask School Leaders Reading Podcast with Jeff Barton.